Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Welcome to the Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz. I'm your host, and uh, this is episode number 13. Now, today's uh, show is a little bit different. We've actually got quite a lot of cruise news and maritime history to, to share with you. Uh, we've also got a number of listener questions, and then Peter from Clear is actually on annual leave, so we're, we're shaking things up a little bit. Uh, we will be joined by Chris in a moment to share the maritime history, the cruise news, answer a question from a listener. And then I have another listener question that shall be answering uh, between myself and my son, Z2, um, to talk about family cruising. Um, this week's uh, cruise review was actually on the long side, which would have taken this episode probably way above the hour mark, which uh, in my opinion is probably a little bit too long. So I've decided to hold that back for a future edition. And uh, I'm also excited to share that we have a very, very special guest join us on next episode. That's episode 14. And I really encourage you to come back and listen because we have... Um, an icon from the industry coming to talk uh, talk with you, talk with us and share um, what's happening out there on the open ocean. But without further ado, let's get into the podcast. And once again, it's that time of the show where we welcome Chris Frame back. Hey, Chris. Hey, Barry. What a week. What a week. I know. It's uh, end... <laughs> The speed in which these Fridays come around, these podcasts come around, it's it's amazing. But um, week on week, and here we are. So, <laughs> and it's time once again to uh, take a turn back in time, look at maritime history. But we're not going back this far this week. No, we're not. We're going back to the late nineteen eighties, um, and a brand that many people in Australia are getting more and more. Well, we're particularly before the cruise pause, getting more and more familiar with, and that's Seaborn because they've had a few ships. Um, coming down to our part of the world recently. Now, Seaborn is renowned for its highly luxurious, all-inclusive offering. Uh, and interestingly enough, the fleet now of ships, whilst, so that's Seaborn Odyssey, Seaborn Sojourn, Seaborn Quest and Encore, whilst they're um, 
by today's standards considered to be sort of small ship cruising, their, their gross tonnage and, and dimensions actually make them about the same sort of size as the Lusitania and the Mauritania, which we talk about as great oh, ocean wow. liners on the North Atlantic. I know it's crazy. Um, in fact, uh, Seaborn Encore, which is uh, currently Seaborn's largest ship, um, she's at 41,000 tons. So she's actually larger than those great ocean liners of days gone by. But still today, with the mega ships that we have around the world, they're considered to be small ship cruising. But their origins are actually even more boutique. Um, in 1988, um, they established services with a plan to build th- um, a fleet of new super yachts. Now, these super yachts were um, sort of a trend in the 1980s. And in fact, another big cruise line, well, it was supposed to be a big cruise line. It was called um, the Sea Goddess Line. They had plans to build a huge fleet of super yachts as well, which were even smaller than the seaborne ships, and only ended up managing to build Sea, sea Goddess 1 and Sea Goddess 2 because financially it was very difficult to build new fleets of, of ships from scratch. Um, and the same sort of thing happened with Seaborne. So they initially built the Seaborne Pride and the Seaborne Spirit, um, each around about 9,900 tonnes, so much smaller than the current ships. And they had plans to build a third, um, and the third ship's actually probably the most famous of the three, but they sold those plans to the Royal Viking line, which was another very luxurious cruise line. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, it became the Royal Viking Queen, which was the last ship ever built for Royal Viking line, but exactly the same sort of dimensions and specifications as the Seaborn ships. Now, when Royal Viking collapsed in the 1990s, this ship, Royal Viking Queen, was transferred across to Seaborne. She was purchased by Seaborne. Um, and oh, she became yeah. the Seaborne Legend. Now, you might have seen the Seaborne Legend not just as a cruise ship, but also if you're a cinema goer, because she was actually the ship that was used in the Speed 2 movie, if you remember that one. Of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the ship that was out of control and that ended up this dramatic scene at the end where it crashed in spoiler alert, spoiler alert, but it crashed into the, into the pier. Um, and that was the Seaborne legend. And in fact, they actually even used the name of the ship during the movie. So it was set on the Seaborne legend and they had the name Seaborne legend men- mentioned many times during, um, during the film. Now Seaborne itself was originally an independent company, but it was purchased by Carnival. Um, and in 1998, another um, luxury brand Cunard was purchased by Carnival. The following year, they actually merged the two companies together. So Cunard and Car- um, Seaborne ended up operating under a holding company called Cunard Line Limited, which was owned by Carnival. And Cunard had three ships in their fleet that were transferred across to Seaborne. And those ships were the um, Sea Goddess One, the Sea Goddess Two, which were now by this stage Cunard ships, and they became the Seaborne Goddess One and Seaborne Goddess Two. And the Royal Viking Sun, which was another Royal Viking ship, a very luxurious ship, and she moved across to Seaborne as Seaborne Sun. Now, those three ships didn't have very long um, periods of time with Seaborne. In fact, within a couple of years, they were all transferred. Seaborne Sun particularly was considered to be too big for the Seaborne offering back then. But at 38,000 tons, she's actually smaller than Seaborne's biggest ship now, which I think is quite interesting (laughs) how things have changed in that 20-year period. Um, so Seaborne um, Sun went on to become uh, Prince and Dam for Holland America, and she's now uh, left the Holland America fleet. The other two have joined Sea Dream Cruises um, and are still cruising today. Um, and Seaborne has since retired their original three ships, all of which have gone to Windstar to become um, part of the Windstar fleet. 
as they replace them with their larger fleet of new, um, much probably more even more luxurious passenger ships with higher balcony um, ratios. In fact, most of their fleet is a fully balcony cabins, and uh, two of them uh, own majority balcony with just a few outside cabins, no inside cabins on board. So I thought that's an interesting um, link, and also because um, I, I think we'll be speaking very shortly about a, a special offer from Seaborn. So. Yeah, and I mean, so much information between 1986, which is not that long ago, to 2020. So much went on for, for a relatively smallish luxury cruise line. Yeah, yeah so it, it's interesting, and also how much um, people's expectations have changed, I suppose, because those seaborne ships, um, the three that were part of the original uh, trio, when they first entered service, they they were considered highly luxurious. They're outside cabins, but they were outside cabins. There were no balconies on board. They had big picture windows. Um, during the time that they were operating for Seaborn under the Carnival brand, they actually were all retrofitted where the windows were removed and, and little sort of terrace balconies were put in on many of those cabins. Um, and just by today's standards, how the new ships, which are so much bigger and in fact would hold their own against some of the most famous ocean liners of days gone by um, in terms of size, they're now... Um, considered to be small ship luxury cruising where these little little ships now over at um at windstar are, are very much considered to be very small sort of boutique ships now as well so the industry's definitely changed a lot our expectations have changed a lot and a lot of that comes down to the the, requ- the requirement that passengers have to be able to have their own um, balcony or veranda space yeah i mean even windstar they uh they're currently stretching those ships aren't they and um, cutting are. them in half they and inserting a whole new section it's amazing i mean there must be the foundations are good to allow them to have operated since the 1980s and to be retrofitted numerous times and for that to be the more viable um, decision to be made uh, in terms of that or replacement shows how, how I suppose, well-designed they were in the first place, which is good. Absolutely. Now, keeping with Seaborn, let's uh, bring it up to date and uh, this week they announced what's going to happen in 21 and 22. Yeah, so they're looking ahead. Uh, of course, so many of the cruise lines now saying to talk about what's going to happen in a few years' time. Um, and Seaborn will actually be returning to Egypt um, with Egyptian oh, wow. cruises. Yeah, uh, and they they've been very well known over the over the years to have pioneered sort of several um, sort of itineraries with the small ship cruising. And, and Egypt was one of the ones that they would they would visit back uh, in their earlier history. But they have been um, away from Egypt for at least a decade. Um, uh, but Seaborn Ovation will will recommence Egyptian voyages. Uh, and then she's also going to be um, visiting us in Australia and also for our friends in New Zealand. And there'll be a series of voyages that will go between Australia and New Zealand in the 2022 um, season. So Seaborn's offering um, that those voyages for people. You can speak to your travel agent or visit them on their website. Now, let's head to Europe briefly um, for a brand that's probably relatively unknown because it's not really sold uh, in this part of the world. Uh, but Paul Bentor have uh, had a big announcement this week. They have, yes. So they're um, entering into what they're referring to as a reorganization, but it's basically um, the company's based in Spain. um, And it's sort of like, um, I suppose it's a little bit like that bankruptcy protection that you you hear about from companies, particularly in the US. Um, And this is linked to the impact of coronavirus. Um, They're a smaller cruise line. They've got three ships in their fleet and they have a minority shareholding by Royal Caribbean. Um, which at one point did own the majority of the company, but has, you know, several years ago um, sort of become a minority holder. 
but their ships are actually former RCI and um, Celebrity Cruisers ships. So they have the Sovereign and the Monarch, both of which were Royal Caribbean ships, Sovereign of the Seas and Monarch of the Seas, which interestingly enough are also date back to the 1980s and when they entered service were the largest cruise ships ever built at the time. So that just shows how much things have changed in those um, 30 years. And the other ship is the Horizon, which is a former... Um, celebrity cruiser ship in fact the first new build that was ever put into service for celebrity um, her and um, zenith were both were both built in the 1980s so these ships now are in what we refer to as cold layup where they've actually been deactivated they're not um, operating on their own engines anymore uh, and there's rumors flying around out there that some of their internal fixtures and fittings are even being removed from the ship so what oh, is no. yeah i don't know what exactly is going on um is not 100% sure, but they are under this reorganization. So hopefully uh, with that, they'll be able to um, streamline the company and, and, and relaunch. But uh, we'll have to wait and see what the outcome is of that. Sure. Well, we'll, we'll keep everybody posted. Um, we're going to keep staying in Europe briefly. Uh, we've spoken about Arosa a, a bit over the past couple of weeks, but they were one of the first uh, river operators back on the water. And uh, they've been keen to announce that things are not as bad as everybody was expecting. Things are operating reasonably normally. Yeah, so they've actually recommenced cruising in two jurisdictions, both in Portugal and just recently in Germany. And we spoke about that in a previous podcast, as you mentioned. Um, but it's gone well for them. They've they've been quite happy with the way it um, is coming together. And so they actually have plans to restart their French operation in July. Um, and so that's uh, river cruises. I guess we've mentioned many times on the podcast that the, the prospect of so that localized within one nation sort of domestic style cruising might be the way that the industry restarts. And it looks like Arosa has, um, has made a success of that. Uh, and so confident in fact, they are that they're offering um, early booking discounts now for people who want to travel in 2021. So um, it gives a sort of a boost of confidence that uh, this offering will be able to be extended through to next year. Yeah, I mean, I particularly like there was there was lots of rumors going around that you know you wouldn't be able to use hot tubs and swimming pools mm. and bike tours would disappear, but it hasn't. They've managed to to find a workaround to to use all of these facilities and amenities safely, which is great. Well, yeah, I think if um, if I remember correctly, in the previous one where we were talking about um, their their plans for restart, and there's a lot of uh, work that went into how they're going to keep their ships clean, how they're going to have a reduced capacity on board, and that sort of thing, um, screening for passengers who are coming onto the ship as well. So. Um, perhaps if this is uh, successful in the longer term, it will be a, a good model for other cruise lines to, to to copy when they're restarting their services. Yeah. Now let's stay with the cleaning theme because um, this is actually not new news, but it, uh, it popped back up on my radar this week. Lindblad have um, introduced or found a way of working the, the first self-disinfecting ships. Yeah, so back in 2019, um, Lindblad's uh, fleet of ships, which um, people probably might better know as National Geographic ships because they're kind of in a partnership, so they've they've co co badged them. And in fact, in our part of the world, probably one of the more well known ones is the Orion because she's operated cruises out of Australia. Um, but they looked at a new way of disinfecting their ships. Um, the product it's called Premium Purity. But it uses um, sort of a liquid that is applied to the ship that when exposed to sunlight, it um, activates cleaning enzymes. This is as best as I can understand it, being not being a, um, a chemist myself. <laughs> um, but it helps them disinfect the ship without having to put so much sort of manual cleaning process and also 
um, using so many chemicals. So some of the benefits that they say um, that this has is that they've noticed a, um, a decrease in passenger illness by around about half. Um, and it helps to eliminate um, and reduce the amount of toxins that are being used on the ship. Um, and I think also when we're looking at sort of cruising's impact on the world uh, and the environment, uh, one of the things it does do is it um, reportedly helps reduce the amount of single-use plastic bottles um, that are used during the normal cleaning process on a ship. And I think they said about a 1,000 um, across the fleet since they started yeah. utilizing this. So what I think is interesting at the moment as well is because there's so much focus on how cruise lines can sort of keep their ships clean in this COVID world. Um, and it's sort of come back on, I know it came back on your radar, but it's certainly something that if it um, continues to show promise, it might be sort of used again across the, the, the wider fleet or maybe even um, in other parts of the tourism industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree. And the um, the, the video that I watched on it was um, basically the crew saying how, how how it really impacted their 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 workload and their health, and you know just not using those harsh chemicals anymore is mm. really uh, a great benefit. Because anyone who's been anyone who's been on um, on a cruise will, will surely note, have noticed the number of crew that they have wandering around the ship with with cleaning products to keep everything clean. And you would expect that, obviously, yeah. with a lot of people in a in a small area. Um, but to be able to sort of reduce that impact, I do think that as the tourism market reactivates, these sorts of innovations will be things that not just cruise lines, but also airlines and hotels and maybe even um, sort of cafes and office buildings and restaurants might even start looking at. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, MSC had an announcement this week as well. They announced what will be happening uh, this coming northern winter, which is, of course, our summer. Um, so the, the season of 20 to 21, um, they're going to be operating 90 different itineraries, I believe. Yeah, ninety different uh, destinations across their their MSC sort of um, footprint, which includes the um, South Africa, South America, um, the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, Asia, um, and uh, also voyages in the Middle East. But what's interesting about the twenty twenty one schedule is that they're going to be offering their um, MSC World Cruise which I believe is only the third time, perhaps, or maybe twice before they've done that. Um, so it gives people who don't usually have um, that access to an MSC ship or maybe have never even considered doing an MSC cruise an opportunity to try out that product in places where the ships don't usually sail. Uh, and as we've seen in the past um, with ships that have done world cruises for lines that perhaps, you know, in, in regions where you don't see many different cruise brands, um, it allows passengers to experience something a little bit different. And then if it's popular, they might start sending ships to other parts of the world more regularly. Yeah, I mean, MSC is a brand that I've never cruised on personally, but um, I, I hear great things, particularly from the European uh, market, so mm. that really love um, the, the, the MSC ships and, and everything that's available on board. So it'll be interesting. Hopefully she'll, she'll call by our, our port. And last but by no means least, uh, we've got another birthday. And uh, again, this time in Fiji. In fact, we were talking about Fiji just a couple of weeks ago. We were, and we also talked about Captain Cook just a, a few weeks ago as well. So, you know, obviously, if you're a listener in um, Australia or um, in any of the Australian cities here, you might know the Captain Cook brand. They have uh, ships that are based uh, or, or smaller sort of ferries that are based in, in Sydney and across in Western Australia as well. Uh, but they also have a presence in, in Fiji. In fact, um, they've been in Fiji for 30 years, and their ship uh, there, the Reef Endeavour, um, is a a very lovely sort of offering that they have uh, available. It's a small ship, um, very highly personalized 
um, onboard experience. Um, only about 60 cabins. Um, so you get a really unique view of of life in Fiji and, and, the, and the Fijian um, sort of landscapes from the, from the decks of this little, little ship. And she's um, now going to be sailing uh, throughout 2021, but in order to celebrate their 30th anniversary doing voyages in Fiji, they're offering 30% off for new bookings. Um, so if you're thinking about checking out that part of the world and wanted to um, try something a little bit different, perhaps that you might not necessarily have considered. This is probably a good time to look into that. Fabulous. Now, I forgot to give you a heads up about this, Chris. So apologies, question without warning. Mm-hmm. We had a listener question come in um, uh, sure. last week, actually. Uh, Christine from Queensland was looking at a transatlantic cruise um, for at some point yes. in 2021. And she wanted to know if there was any difference in going eastbound versus westbound, i.e. is it generally any smoother or is it uh, pretty much uh, the look of the draw? Well, that's an interesting one. So the biggest difference that you'll find um, is that if you go westbound, you're get, you're going sort of obviously sailing west, so you get extra time each each day. So rather than losing time, you're gaining time. You get an extra hour on the clock. Um, if memory serves me, I think it's five times during the seven day voyage. Um, and on, I mean, Queen Mary too is the only ship that's doing this regularly. They will add that time in the middle of the day, so you get the the clock change that. Um, uh, at midday uh, on the eastbound you're heading um, east obviously so you're losing time so the the biggest difference is that you'll feel probably a little bit little bit more tired perhaps on the eastbound voyages because there's one hour taken off um, several times during the voyage now westbound is actually going against the gulf stream um, which means that the ship has to work a little bit harder to go westbound um, and you can experience um, a little bit more ship's movement westbound in um, if the ship is going through a particularly sort of uh, boisterous um, uh, Gulf Stream movement at the time. But I think a lot of it comes down to selecting what time of year you're planning to, to travel. So the uh, North Atlantic, obviously, is in the Northern Hemisphere. So you'd want to be looking, if you're worried about um, seasickness, you'd want to be looking at traveling during the northern summer. Um, if you're looking anything sort of past sort of October, you can expect to see the, the sea start to um, become a little bit rougher. Um, the recent transatlantic crossing that I went on was in November of last year. We had a, a force 12 um, hurricane force winds during our, during our voyage for one of the days of our, of our adventure on the North Atlantic. But that would have impacted the ship whether we'd been going eastbound or westbound. So I think a lot of it does come down to what time of year you're choosing to, to travel as well. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I did one in May, um, not on Cunard. It was on a, uh, a carnival ship. And, and we had, it was, the ocean didn't actually look real. It was so smooth. It looked like it was a, an artist's impression, like a virtual reality mm. type of situation. And it was like that it for can the full be voyage. Like that. Yeah. It's remarkable. And I think one of the things that's interesting, you, you mentioned the carnival thing, because whilst it's often sort of quoted around that Queen Mary 2 is the only ship that does the regular transatlantic crossings, a lot of other cruise lines do do transatlantic reposition, repositioning cruises. The biggest difference um, is that most of them, not all, but most of them don't follow the um, transatlantic route that the old ocean liners used to travel. Queen Mary 2 does that, oh, okay. stays sort of in the northern part of the Atlantic. Many of the ships that are doing the repositioning cruises go further south, um, which, um, again, and sometimes take in um, ports along the way. Sometimes they'll go down the 
the coast um, on the east, uh, west coast of Africa or maybe come into Fort Lauderdale rather than going direct across to New York. So it is a little bit different. Um, a little bit sort of uh, a, a different part of la- kind of landscape, but the Atlantic is a very uh, sort of notorious for its high seas. But at the same time, you can definitely see pictures, or as you've experienced in real life, uh, of it being um, like a mill pond. Yeah. And I suppose that's like any stretch of water, because I, I remember, I mean, living in Australia, we've done the transit of the Great Australian Bight quite a few times, and uh, in the Southern Ocean, and on same time of the year, usually around about February March. Um, one particular crossing on the Kiwi 2, uh, the bow was going under the water, the ship was moving around, it was hard to walk around the ship. Same time next year, same ship, it was just like <laughs> floating on glass. So it really does, you know, I say try and choose your time right. You can obviously get a storm at any time, but you're much more likely to have a smooth crossing if you're traveling in the northern summer on the North Atlantic. Great, great advice. Now, before we let you go, Chris, um, you have put out another video this week and um, very informative. You've done an, an update on where the various ships are, because obviously things have changed since you did your first video. Yes, absolutely. So there's been a lot of um, movements around. I think one of the biggest things that we've seen is that at the initial stages of the of the cruising shutdown, it was really only expected to last probably, I think it was 30 to 60 days, depending on which line it was. The original voluntary pause um, from Clear, I think was a 30-day pause, but some of the, some of the um some of the shipping lines like Princess were early out saying that they were going to do 60 days. But because of that, many of the ships were kind of kept nearby where their next itinerary after that pause was going to take off from. So you had sort of um, Queen Elizabeth, for example, which was based in our part of the world, stayed sort of relatively locally up in Gladstone. You had lots of the ships that were traveling throughout Asia sort of stayed where they were. Um, In the time since then, it's obviously been extended many times. So Many of these ships have been sent to further afield locations for more permanent sort of longer term storage. Um, and so that's what the video really looks into is what's changed. Where are these big clusters of ships now? And there's there's clusters of them throughout numerous places in the UK, throughout Europe. You've got the Costa fleet and you've got the MSC fleet. Um, and then in the United States, many of them in the Caribbean Sea, but also uh, on the on the west coast up near California, and then of course the I guess the super cluster it almost sounds like we're talking about astronomical terms, <laughs> um, but uh, in the Philippines where there's um, at last count something like twenty eight ships, um, oh. all within visual um, you know you can see them all from from one spot it's uh, it's remarkable, and you know just um, having put that video up yesterday already we're getting. Um, comments from people who live in the Philippines saying that they, they can stand there on the shores of Manila at night and see all the lights <laughs> from all the ships in the evening. So um, again, we'll probably never see anything, or well, hopefully we'll never see anything like this in our lifetimes again. So it's quite quite remarkable. And I think it's um, it's, it's important to document it because it's uh, such a such an unusual situation for us all to be living through. Yeah, absolutely. I will be sure to put the uh, the link to that in, in the show notes. So if anybody is interested in finding you and your videos, it's all there for them. Chris, once again, thank you very, very much, mate. We'll speak again next week. Thank you. podcast is not possible without the help of our good friends at cruisefinder.com.au. They have more than 30,000 different cruises live on their website, many with live availability and pricing, but most importantly, each and every call, chat and email is answered here in Australia by Australian clear accredited cruise specialists. So when you're looking for your next cruise, please consider the team at cruisefinder.com.au.
Okay, next up, we've got a listener question that actually came in from Anne. Anne, I actually don't know where you're from, which state's in Australia, uh, but thank you for contacting us via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com, and you can also get in touch in the same way. There is a section on the website called Contact Us or Join the Show. Um, Anne, your question this week was regarding taking your grandchildren on a cruise, um, which I think is a a great idea and something that I would highly encourage. Multi-generation cruising is an opportunity to make, to make incredible memories. Um, most memories left a lifetime and that the children benefit from the experience of travel, which uh, I highly encourage. Um, but I thought I would also ask um, my son, or one of my sons, Z2, to, to join us because he's the same age as one of your grandchildren. I thought it might give a bit more of a an authentic answer to your question. Now, you didn't say where you were going to cruise to or where you were considering cruising to, um, but as I've touched on, it's a great opportunity to make those memories. Um, it's also great that you can take everything you need for the kids, unpack once. You as parents and grandparents get to do your own thing, and the children also get to do activities that are uh, suitable for them as well. I do think it's really important, though, that you speak to an, a clear accredited cruise advisor. We spoke about that in a couple of episodes ago. Um, and a clear accredited cruise advisor can really help, help you find the right ship that is right for you and your family. Um, some ships have an array of different bells and whistles that are available to you, such as rock climbing malls, ice skating rinks, bumper cars, water parks, kids clubs, etc. But it really depends on how old and active your, your children and grandchildren are as to what they would want to do on board. But I will um, now uh, ask Z2 to join us in the, in the conversation to see what, uh, as an eight-year-old, he thinks about cruising, and he's been on, on quite a few cruises. Uh, Z2, welcome to the podcast. Hi. So, the, Anne is one of our listeners on the podcast, and she'd like to know about uh, cruising with her grandchildren. Um, you've been on a number of cruises. What do you think about cruising? I think it's very suitable to for kids, so you can always go to places and um look what their special landmarks are to different to different places that you know oh different destinations yeah yeah um what about on board the ship what things do you like do you like the swimming pools the hot tubs or the kids club or anything like that i like um both kids club kids club and the hot tubs have you been on any ships that have any uh, extra things for kids like um um, sports parks with rope climbing walls and, and different things like that? Yeah, that was one of my first ones. Its name was Carnival Vista. Oh, okay. And uh, is that one of your favourite ones so far? Yes. Okay, okay brilliant. Um, now, so activities-wise, you love Kids Club, and uh, I must say that the Kids Club is broken up into different age groups, so depending on the kids, um, they may or may not be in the, the same room, but they very, very quickly uh, make lots of different friends um, in Kids Club. How about the foods? Um, in general, like what different types of foods do you have on board? Are you, is there a lot of choice, or do you, do you stick to the same burgers and chips all the time? Yeah, there's a lot of choices, but usually I stay to the same choice. But if I go to a different part of um, the ship, where there's like um, a restaurant or something, um, there's always different options. Okay, so for breakfast, where would you normally go for your breakfast on board the ship? Um, the buffet. And what about lunchtime? Do you, do you hang around the pool or...? So, yeah, the pool is usually close to the buffet, so that's where we usually get um, lunch. And there's normally, you can go to the buffet, but you can also go to the snack bar as well. And then, obviously, you can get snacks in the afternoon and into the evening, but what about dinner? Do you like to to go to the main restaurant? Yes. um, Sometimes it can be boring, 
but um, it's nice to go to different places of the ship. Boring because you have to sit there for the for the dinner. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> what about um, when the ships import? Do you like to get off and see things, or do you like to have kids club all to yourself? I like to stay on the ship, but it's like I said, it's always good to ha- have a look around at different places. But you don't like walking, do you? Yeah. <laughs> and um, not only do you like the the facilities on board, do you get to see any of the shows or any of the entertainment or the dance classes or anything? Yeah, um, I do that, but I usually get tired and want to go back to my room. You do like a siesta, I have to say. You, you like to have a bit of food, have a bit of a dance, and then go and have a bit of a lie down, or even fall asleep on the, the restaurant table sometimes. <laughs> um, and I hope that's um, answered or helped to answer your question. And if you have any more questions, of course, you can get in touch with us via the website. And uh, Z2 is always available to, to help answer any family cruising questions. Um, Zach, before you go, have you got a favourite cruise destination? Um, New York City. You're one spoiled little man. Yep. What was your favourite thing about New York? Um, when we went to go see the Statue of Liberty. Oh, well, wicked! Did you? Um, I was going to say, did you walk there? But of course, you can't walk to the Statue of Liberty. How did? How did you see it? Um, I went to a little dock where you take a ferry to the little island. Well, I remember that was a couple of years ago. You went on the Staten Island ferry, which is a free ferry that you can do in New York. So that's a good tip. Thanks for thanks for that one. Um, Thanks, Zach. If we have any more kids or family questions, we'll, we'll call you back onto the podcast. Bye. Cheers, buddy. When you're packing for your next cruise, maybe consider a new pair of handmade sandals to go. Uh, Evocus are handmade in Spain and sold with love here in Australia by sandalsandsunsets.com.au. You'll find all the details in the show notes below. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.